following messages were presented during the Friends of Israel 2009 Prophecy Conferences. It should be noted that a few of our speakers presented their messages with the aid of PowerPoint. Well, uh, the importance of prophecy. Um, we at the Friends of Israel look as, at prophecy as God's roadmap to the future. It really is. It's, it's literal. Uh, which is a very, very important uh, uh, principle of interpretation. And when we think about, you know, the founding of the Friends of Israel in 1938 and the rebirth of the modern state of Israel in 1948, uh, we, we realize how literal God's prophetic word is. And then that's how we look at it. And so today, uh, here we are. We are living in the light of the greatest prophetic event in almost 2,000 years, and that is the rebirth of the modern state of Israel and the return of the Jewish people to their ancient homeland. But uh, as we look at Scripture, when it was given, almost 30% of the Bible uh, was prophetic. And, uh, and, and many, many of those prophecies, most of them, are still left to be fulfilled. But what I'd like to do in this session, uh, look at some prophetic insights in turbulent times and certainly, since, since we were together here last year, and uh, in the past year, so many things have happened, and I'd like to look at that in terms of what we expect to happen from the Bible, what we see happening today, and then I'd uh, like to share with you some, uh, I believe, are very exciting things going on uh, among the Jewish people. But uh, as we look at an overview of future events and we look at these things to come and we wonder, uh, are we not, in fact, engaged in what we might call stage setting for these future events? And I think we are. Well, the, first, uh, the next uh, future event, I believe, will be the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, where the Lord himself descends with a shout, voice of an archangel, trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ rise first. That's the dead believers who have died in this age, the church age. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. So that meeting of the Lord, or that return of the Lord, is a meeting for believers of this age, the church age, that meeting occurs in the air. That is distinguished from the second coming of Jesus Christ, which will occur seven years or more thereafter at the end of the tribulation period, which the tribulation occurring after the rapture. So the second coming of Christ is when Jesus Christ comes to this earth to reign and to rule in a righteous kingdom mode for a thousand years. So the rapture of the church, as we mentioned in the outline here, is the next event. And then the event of which the Bible has more to say than any other prophetic period of time, the tribulation will be ushered in. And the biblical basis for the tribulation, especially Daniel chapter 9, we also have the major portion of the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 19, but it's throughout Scripture. There are many Old Testament prophets, especially, we mentioned Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Jeremiah, deal with aspects of the tribulation period. 
And then in the New Testament, we have Matthew, we have texts, so we have Thessalonians, as well as the book of Revelation. But what it's all about, it's all about man's lawlessness and sin and outright rebellion to a righteous God and Jesus Christ. It's all about God's judgment on this Christ-rejecting world, and it's all about a bunch of really traumatic things that will happen related to Israel and the Jewish people. And that tribulation period has a beginning that's outlined in Daniel chapter 9 that is uh, so clearly given uh, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And then he, the he of Daniel 9 is the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant. And that's the covenant with Israel, one week, literally seven years. But what happens, according to the text, in the middle of that seven-year period, he brings an end to sacrifice and offering. Yes, there will be sacrifice uh, in the temple. There will be a rebuilt tribulation temple. End to sacrifice. And then the unleashing upon the Jewish people of the, of the, the, the worst, most horrific forms of persecution, anti-Semitism that they have ever seen. And boy, they have seen plenty throughout history. So it begins with the prince to come or the Antichrist, the rise of him, his power as a counterfeit Christ. He will have the ability to cut this covenant or to make this peace treaty uh, between Israel and the nations and confirm it, stand behind it, and Israel will feel a sense of security and peace on the basis of the work, the leadership of the Antichrist. You know, the word Antichrist properly describes him and what he's all about, that's for sure. But do not picture horns and a horrible guy and all the rest, an offensive character. I see this Antichrist, and I think we see it clearly from Scripture that he will literally dazzle the world with his abilities, his politically sensitive abilities to bring together combinations and to pressure nations into league with him, um, his ability in, uh, in the world of finance and economics, and whatever it is, Antichrist will dazzle the world with all, in all these fields of human endeavor, and that's what he is all about. And um, there's also, in Revelation chapter 13, something we need to give our attention to as we think about stage setting, and that is the role of the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13. And his role during the tribulation will be to merge and forge together worldwide religion. And that worldwide religion has a purpose of directing worship to the Antichrist. So you see what a counterfeit the false prophet is of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry, the Holy Spirit does not seek worship to himself. The Holy Spirit's job or ministry is to direct worship to God, to Jesus Christ. 
Okay, the role of the false prophet is to direct worship during the tribulation to Antichrist. And so that's going on, and that's happening, worldwide religion. And then in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14, we come across the 144,000 witnesses. Witnesses of Messiah, those who will carry the message of Christ to that world, and people will be saved. They'll pay a horrible price for standing up for their faith in the Lord Jesus. Many of them will be martyred, but the Bible says in Revelation 7 and 14, chapters, those two chapters, the 144,000, very distinctive, because they are Jewish. Yes, they are Jewish. And uh, coming from the Jewish people, kind of a first fruits of salvation that will come to the nation of Israel as a whole. But there they are, they're witnesses of Messiah, and uh, they're protected uh, by God, and people will believe. I think about them a lot, primarily because of things that are happening today that I'll share with you between, uh, among the Jewish people. Uh, but I think about them a lot, and I ask, where do they come from? Do they drop from the sky? Um, no, but they've got to go into the tribulation unsaved because everybody that goes into the tribulation will be unsaved. So um, we think about them, but kind of keep them in mind. And finally, the tribulation does in fact end with the second coming of Jesus Christ, Armageddon and related. Last night I was chatting with Jonathan about the traditional view of Jewish people that in their minds, and this is absolutely true, Armageddon to the average Jewish person in the United States, in their minds means Christians win, Jews lose. That's what they've got in their minds. So what a privilege it was when we had two joint trips, uh, Friends of Israel with the Jewish community, to be able to go to Mount Megiddo, Har Megiddo, Armageddon, biblical Armageddon, and explain the truth that Armageddon is the Lord coming, putting down the corruption and the godlessness of the Gentile nations of the world, all of them, that come up against Jerusalem. And so the tribulation does end. Well, so many things have happened since we have been together, were together here last, uh, the end of last July, in our country and around the world, and uh, I want to submit some of these things to you just in terms of, of our general thoughts because so many of these things seem to be lining up as stage-setting events of what we know will happen during the tribulation period. Now, these will happen after the rapture of true believers of the Church of Jesus Christ, but, and Christians are wondering. Uh, I can also report that we've noticed since January in our days in the prophetic word, uh, just as we have here in our conference, uh, our major summer conference here in Winona Lake, uh, a surge of interest, in t attendance increasing at every one of them over uh, the previous year. But here are some of the things we see. First of all, we see Russia rising up. And one of the most un improbable parts of this is the combination of Russia and Iran, traditional enemies 
who are now coming together on many fronts. Russia has been such an apologist for Iran, uh, both at the United Nations and also on the world stage. But Russia rising up. I, we've seen headlines, and one of the things I did over the past year, I could feel this gathering. I've, I've, I've pulled down headlines uh, over this period of time, over the last 12 months, of things that are going on that just seem so stage-setting. Because when we think about Russia and we think about Iran, we think about Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, where there is this massive invasion of Israel, which most of us at the Friends of Israel believe, not, not all, but most believe, uh, will occur early on in the tribulation, probably after the signing of the covenant uh, with Antichrist, but a massive invasion of Israel from uh, the north. And it's interesting in the text, Rosh of Ezekiel 38 is Russia. And Persia is Iran coming together. And um, Russia rising up in league with Iran. And with the, the headlines have been daunting. Russia holds major war games. Three Russian warships visit Cold War ally Cuba. A lot going on even in our sphere of the world. In the Caribbean with Russian maneuvers with Venezuela and increasing ties with Cuba. And we see Russia rising up and we wonder, uh, certainly it, it's not the end of the Russian bear uh, like uh, may have seemed possible earlier. It is a, a, a look at what, what is in reality uh, a new uh, rejuvenated world power. And, and we think about Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39. The second thing Pat really covered uh, so well and uh, how our messages uh, tie in one with another is, uh, is so many times thrilling to us. Um, the, the global headlines of the past year have been daunting, so frequent. It's just been global, global, global. It's been new world order. It's been a, a hunger for a world ruler. And that's what the Antichrist is all about during the tribulation period. The whole idea of forging together the world in this great combination under his power as, anti, as Antichrist. But I thought in particular, you might uh, like to hear the words very recently of Pope Benedict. And this is this month, earlier this month, Pope Benedict said on Tuesday, earlier this month, world political, uh, he called for a world political authority to manage the global economy and for more government regulation of national economies to pull the world out of the current crisis and avoid a repeat. The Pope said every economic decision has a moral consequence and called for forms of redistribution of wealth. <laughs> Sound familiar? Really what they're doing is equalizing poverty. That's what it really boils down to. And don't get me on that one. Pope said this, there is an urgent need for a true world political authority whose task will be to manage the global economy, to revive economies hit by the crisis, to avoid any deterioration of the present crisis and the greater imbalances that would result. 
So the Pope's now active on the world stage. Globalism, uniting economies, uh, China calling for a world currency as well. Calls for global leadership. Uh, there it is, and it just seems to, to prefigure exactly what will happen during the tribulation period. Push for, the next one I mentioned here is the push for worldwide religion. Um, that's the role of the false prophet during the tribulation period. Um, back in September, uh, after our conference last year, I did a mailing in which I explained about an invitation that had come to my desk um, uh, for an international conference on religion sponsored by, of all people, Saudi King Abdullah. Of all people. Bringing together 300 delegates from Islam, liberal Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, where, they, where would they meet? Can't even meet in Saudi Arabia. No open expressions of faith are allowed other than Islam. They met in Spain. And, um, and, and enthralled attendees, the report came back, declared the meeting a new beginning with Islam as the spark that might generate a new religious revival. World religion. Well, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, when he came to the United Nations, was welcomed by five American religious organizations. In fact, they gave a dinner in his honor. Yeah, the one who's calling for the destruction of Israel and saying, we're going to do it. He was honored by the World Council of Churches, figures, American Friends Service Committee, Mennonite Central Committee, Quaker United Nations Office, and a pickup group called Religions for Peace. And more recently, and most recently, a website was launched with the backing of the technology industry and the Hollywood elites, urging people to help craft a framework for harmony between all religions. Charter for Compassion, urging people from all faiths, nationalities, languages, and backgrounds to help draft statements and principles. Well, wow calls for and the push for worldwide religion. Israel under great pressure. Um, the map behind me, um, th there is Israel. Up north, southern Lebanon is well armed with three times the number of missiles under the control of Hezbollah than they shot during the war in Lebanon in 06. Um, going down here to Gaza, you've been hearing what the problem is there and the out outcry of anti-Semitism against the Jewish people and uh, for trying to stop missiles, Hamas missiles from coming into the towns of, uh, of southern Israel. Uh, we know what the problem is here on the West Bank, uh, the Palestinian issue and related problems. Um, uh, there's Syria up to the north and west, uh, a hostile power. To the north, uh, further to the north is Iran calling for the destru destruction of Israel. And so Israel is certainly under great pressure. Um, and and uh, lastly, in terms of the stage setting, uh, we see galloping anti-Semitism. Uh, some of it that we saw back during the Gaza incursion when Israel was trying to stop the missiles from coming uh, into its southern towns was horrible. In Fort Lauderdale, anti-Israel protesters 
took to the streets shouting, murderers, go back to the ovens, you need a big oven. That was Fort Lauderdale. Denmark, kill Israel's people, kill Jewish people everywhere in the world. And it goes on and on and on as far as the anti-Semitism. Israel Apartheid Week was held this spring, which is an anti-Israel effort on campuses throughout the the United States and throughout Canada. And uh, Muslim student associations getting together, uh, portraying Jewish people as aggressors and then uh, depicting them with all kinds of uh, anti-Semitic characterizations of the Jewish people in cartoons and all. And then there was uh, Hit a Jew Day. A child was slapped in the face, two more were hit, they were attacked by fellow students, all for being Jewish. According to their classmates, it was billed Hit a Jew Day. Germany in the 1930s? No. I mean, yes it was, for sure. But this, St. Louis, last fall here in the United States. So increasing anti-Semitism, the Jewish people are very much aware of that, particularly the anti-Semitism that is occurring on campuses throughout the United States and Canada. And it's worse in Europe, what can I say? And I guess our conclusion this morning is, and there are uh, an awful lot more things we could, uh, could go into, our conclusion is the God that brought Israel back from the dead, Ezekiel's dry bones given life, is the God who will bring the great events of his prophetic word to pass. And there are many of them yet to happen. Father, we thank you that we can come together in a great prophecy conference like this, that we can look at your word and know that these things are definite, They are literal. They were not given as fantasy. They were not given as allegory. But Father, it's dependable. It's as dependable as the rebirth of the state of Israel in 1948 and the return, continuing return of the Jewish people to your ancient land, the holy land of Israel. So Father, bless us together. May these things and realizing God's ultimate control over all of them, just nudge us, push us, drive us to holy living. We pray in the name of our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.